0: I don't know who you are, what you do, <laughs> what you believe in. I, for all I know, I'm I'm talking to Hamas right now. I really, I have no clue. Well, I can assure
1: you, you're not. Um, but I can't really prove it. So that's about that's about the best I can the do. Old
0: guys going senile, So, You know. Rap set. They haven't for you yet. Your head is. <laughs> And it's silver and blue and i do miss you more than the rest yes yes Roxanne.
1: the dwarves are a band that need no introduction but here i am doing it anyway churning out an endless flow of unapologetic punk rock since the 80s the dwarves have undoubtedly solidified themselves as a long-standing force to be reckoned with and they've been led through it all by the fearless blag dahlia or blag the ripper he's an opinionated guy with lots on his mind but don't you kind of have to be as the leader of one of the most notorious punk bands of all time? Don't answer that. Listen to him speak and then maybe make up your mind.
0: Rock set. Rock set. Rock set. They have come for you yet. They have come for you yet. Rock set. Rock set.
1: So first question, you know, the big news, aside from uh, the album, obviously, is that you guys are celebrating, I think it's 40 years together as a band, which is huge.
0: Can you imagine? I know. I've spent a huge (laughs) chunk of my life, almost all of it, in this fucking band.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and you guys have had like a, a really steady flow of releases since like, you know, the mid 80s. This is maybe a loaded question, but what do you think you can attribute that longevity to?
0: You know, stupidity. I mean, <laughs> we've been breaking up since 1988 <laughs> or something, you know, I yeah. mean, we, it's like I, I, I just refuse to stop, you know, I mean, I think what it comes down to is that I always loved records and I always liked making a record and I never really had a commercial way in to doing it, you know, so mm-hmm. I just keep making them because I still love making records And what's cool is that, you know, we kind of became somewhere along the line, kind of like the Wu-Tang clan of punk, you know. Yeah. I kept adding people who wanted to make records with me and they kept getting better and better and better. And we just got these ridiculous quality people after a while, just great players and producers and you know, it just and and then after a while, it didn't even have to be like a commercial concern anymore. It was just like, oh, this is legendary. I'll do this, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I got guys I went to high school with working on this record and guys that I met last year working on this record. And it's just, it's just crazy, you know.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And so, yeah, speaking of of the record, I think I would say after listening to it compared to a lot of your previous releases, I would say this one does a pretty good job of demonstrating kind of the, the wide range of styles that you guys are really capable of. It's almost like a, a survey of your musical aptitude. Um, so first, what was kind of the thought process behind this you know, stylistic diversity, assuming it was like intentional?
0: You know, this kind of record first came about for us about 20 years ago when okay. we made The Dwarves Must Die. And that wasn't that popular a record. It's mm. come to be kind of a cult record, which I'm glad of, because to me it was... I, I thought it represented like the sum total of my production skills. Like it was carrying everything in and I had a lot of help, like from Eric Valentine, who's a top 10 producer guy. And mm-hmm. you know, that was the first record we'd known Josh Fries for a long time, but that was the first one where he came in and started playing on some stuff. And, um, it, it basically like the idea that I always had was like, what if you had a record that hit all the different sort of hard genres and things changed about once a minute Mm -hmm. what would happen you know and uh um to to some degree that's what we've been doing ever since must die Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. you
1: mentioned josh freese briefly so he you know does the drumming on this record legendary drummer I know, you know, he's worked with a lot of the greats. He's dubbed himself the blue collar freelance drummer to the stars. Um,
0: <laughs> blue collar, okay. I'll have to yeah, bust that's what he on that one. Yeah, <laughs>
1: straight from Wikipedia. He's probably not going to love that one. But yeah, anyway. So I think you know the big news I read you know recently with him taking over drumming full time for Foo Fighters. There's been a lot of like their fans criticizing him. I think that's just a matter of like. Having to get used to a different drummer, everyone's got their own style.
0: what were I mean Taylor was a lovable guy and a great drummer yeah. and so anybody who replaces him is going to catch some shit exactly. Josh free is just a cut above everybody that we know I mean because the thing with Josh is that he once said something very important to me you know he's he said like I don't play drums. I play music. Mm. And what that means is that, like, most of the guys with the chops that Josh has will only play with other incredible musicians. And so Mm -hmm. you wind up kind of in the Joe Satriani kind of ghetto where it's like, okay, you're the best player, but where's the song and what's this band and what is this supposed to be? Is this just like, I know all the scales really good. You know, I know all the drum rudiments really good. You know, okay, suck my dick. (laughs) that's what those guys do for the most part they have a little circle jerk of their own and they don't really make music that anybody wants to hear you know josh is just the opposite and what fascinated him about the dwarves was all the image the weird stuff the fact that a fight would break out mm-hmm. or something crazy would happen he'll always tell that story the first time he saw us and we didn't go on till 1 30 <laughs> in the morning we played for five minutes and a fight <laughs> broke out and i you know i mean it's like but over the years as we got to be friends he started to recognize that I did have a musical vision of some kind. And then it was like amazing because he can really help you find that musical vision that you have, you know, especially in, in the studio. But I got to point out too, because people have forgotten, like with Josh, Josh has played to a certain degree on the last five records I made and on my solo record. And I hope he plays with me forever. I, you know, now with the Foo Fighters, his schedule is a little crazier and it's hard to say what he can do, so I just feel fortunate that a he's my friend and b he played on all these records, you know. Yeah. But the most interesting drummer thing on this record is not him; <laughs> it's Snoopak, who's our drummer. And what's fascinating about him is that he was 12 years old, sitting in the crowd of a dwarves show. Wow! Singing to every song, and finally I pulled him up on stage. This was main stage at. Punk Bowling, you know, 15 years ago or so or more. And he gets up on stage and like a total pro at age 12, he starts singing every song. I just handed him the mic and I jumped out in the crowd. I mean, this is a guy with charisma who can sing and write and do all these things. So we always kept in touch with him here and there. And after a while, like he'd sell shirts for us, him and his girlfriend, and they would kind of hang out. And he hit me up a few years ago and said, hey, man, I I think I'm ready to play drums for the Dwarves." And I was like, "Okay, this is where everything gets ruined, right? Because you're you're my buddy and we have this great thing. And now you're going to come in and try out for me on drums. And I'm going to be the snotty guy from California telling you I, I don't want you in my band. Yeah. Turned out he was great. And so here's a guy. The Dwarves drummer now is 25 years old. The guy can drum like a motherfucker and he totally added this kind of thrash element that appears at points in the record and in the subsequent record that's going to come out. You know, there's going to be like a corollary record to concept album because we had so much material that we had to release. We're going to have to release like another EP of it. And, you know, he's just killing it all over it. And so this guy, you know, it's like another guy in the doors who can like write and perform and do these things. And so for me, like that's really the story of the dwarves on drums of the last few years because Josh has been around for a while right. of course he's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't beat Josh no. freeze and everybody knows it. he's just the greatest fucking drummer, but you know, Snoopock to me is really interesting. And what I'm trying to get him to do now is make one of these groups like the co-defendants with me, where it's like kind of a hip hop thing. Mm. And he's kind of the lead guy because he's like a cute, Guy in his <laughs> mid twenties that loves hip hop records and has all the old 90s shit and collects like cassettes that I used to throw away, yeah. you know, and and so it's interesting because everything that's old is new again, and yet this guy has been part of our troop for like a really long time, and so I'm really curious as to where he's going to go. But yeah, it's easy to get fixated on Josh because Josh is, yeah, he's just the greatest. Oh yeah, you know you just fuck with the guy. He's he's amazing and and also like you know there's the old joke about drummers writing shit you're like what's the last thing the drummer said yeah. you know i got a song but like on this record he he did the instrumental to voodoo we had never even heard that wow. we're in the studio and we're, we're just destroying shit like we got 13 songs in a day damn and so well that happened two days in a row and we were like well let's just make some shit up <laughs> yeah So josh and it just shows us voodoo he played everything on it So he plays the drum part, then he plays the bass and the guitar. Then we went back and played over it and came up with lyrics and 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 a, and a vocal melody and all that shit. But, you know, it was a good example of, like, what that guy could do. I mean, he's amazing. And then rhythm section, you got Nick Oliveri. I mean, he's a rock legend. So, like, not only is he, like, the heaviest bass player going but he's a great songwriter and singer Mm. and he's got such a unique lyrical style like i love his lyrics they just always freak me out Uh, i'll just hear something that he says and i'm like fuck man this guy's a genius you know and so that's a whole other side of it like josh loves me for putting him in the room with nick and nick loves me for putting him in the room with josh and those guys together it's just like lightning in a bottle, you know, and then my longtime guitar player, the Fresh Prince of Darkness, he comes in. Meanwhile, all of these guys are songwriters. So it's just like an embarrassment of riches, man. <laughs> I just kind of sit there like I feel like what I've become now is more like a movie director. Right. <laughs> I write shit and, and then cast it. And then these guys just take it to places I never imagined that it was going to go, yeah. you know. So I just feel super lucky to be playing with these guys and you asked, you know, why, what do you attribute the longevity? Yeah. You know, I knew salt Peter, our original bass player in high school, and he's always been a great songwriter and always been a great lyricist and could always do everything. And he bailed on the band in like 92, Mm. but we're like the Wu-Tang you can't leave, you know? So he's back on this record, singing, writing songs. I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, i just feel good that like, you see other bands and they kind of fall apart and everybody's fighting or they're enemies and this band, you know, there's definitely been some people that left and got pissed off and don't sure. like me or whatever. But for the most part, it's like, this is a bunch of great dudes. that love doing this, you know, which is kind of rare when you get to our age, you know? Yeah. So I just feel lucky, man. I feel lucky. And the fact that I could still make a record and that it would be this high quality, mm. You know, because I see comments online and people just go, no bands make totally listenable throughout records except The Doors. And no old bands still make cool records except The Doors. And I'm like, fuck yeah, you're right, (laughs) you know. And I don't mind bragging about it because there's still no promotion. There's still no money behind it. There's still no management. There's no fucking booking agent even at the moment. I mean, so it's just like still this weird punk rock thing that isn't supposed to exist, that has no economic reason to exist. And yet there it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, so anyway, a pretty long answer, but I I would say that's kind of <laughs> the story is in the guys in the group. I think that's
1: awesome. And just speaking of like what you what you just finished with there, I think Here's a quote. It was back in uh, in 2009, actually Time Off magazine, which I don't even think exists anymore, described the band as one of the last true bastions of punk rock ideology in the contemporary musical age. And that was, you know, 14, 15 years ago. Like, and you're still talking about something, you know, kind of similar. I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah. And I felt like we were one of the last punk bands in the (laughs) eighties because (laughs) you very quickly saw a lot of them go, Hey, wait a minute. If I grow my hair out and act heavy metal, can, will they give me a record deal? (laughs) You know, so all these guys that were supposed to be punk rock turned out, they were just kind of riding along for the moment. Right. Yeah, And then, you know, the thing that happened in the nineties when punk kind of had its revival was that suddenly. You know, you went from that 70s aesthetic of like, oh, yeah, punk bands, you know, Blondie, the Ramones, the Talking Heads. Like, everybody was totally different, had a completely different style, really different way of doing things. And that was kind of what made you punk. Right. To this, like, okay, everybody has to sound like Bad Religion Part 8 <laughs> or No Effects Part 25. Right. And it's like, I know all those bands. They all strive to sound original and have sound their own way. And so when all these people come along just trying to be them, you know, and that's kind of what punk is now to me, you know, Mm -hmm. the thing that I see that's encouraging is young people at shows, young people making their own band, young people ignoring the old bands and saying, fuck them. We don't want to be part of that. I don't blame them. Right. (laughs) Politicians hang on too long. Our fucking bands hang on too long. I would accuse myself of the same fucking thing. The thing is. I keep waiting for young bands to come and blow me off the stage and be so much better that it's embarrassing, but it doesn't happen. Mm. We come out and blow them off the fucking <laughs> stage. So it's like, all right, you know, someday be, you know, I mean, uh, right. What is it? Beastie boys say, you know, will we ever miss You yeah. know, <laughs> one of these days? You know, I don't know, yeah. but I always see pockets of it. You see young mm. bands coming up. I think the problem is specifically with punk rock there's metal bands coming up that are pushing the genre Mm -hmm. and going, Hmm, okay, let's get more offensive or let's get even faster or let's make it real doomy, or let's do this or that. The punk bands are kind of coming up going, okay, this is our formula. Let's sound just like bad religion, except here's what makes us special. That ain't special enough. Yes. We need more voices of every different kind, but do something with your fucking voice. Don't just sit there and tell me, you know, hey, we're we're a Latino focused band. It's like, I don't want to hear that. Latino people been here the whole time. If you live in California, there's no punk scene without Latinos in it. And what I want to hear is what is your band about?
1: Mm. What are
0: you about? Right. If what you're about is the collection of your your identity stuff, I'll still give it a chance, but I bet you it's gonna suck. <laughs> you know, yeah, because I'm not about my identity. You don't even know what the fuck my identity is from what I do. True. You you it's 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 this unique musical thing. So, you know, that's really what I'm looking for. But I, I see things to be optimistic about when I see young people making their own show and making their own record. And, and, you know, the record labels are going the way of the dinosaur, which has been a long time coming, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, there are some good things happening here, but they're not necessarily happening in punk rock. I think a lot of it's happening just people in their bedroom making tracks. You know, the hip hop way of making music really took over. Mm. And, uh, you know, you're even starting to see it. Uh, you know, I became friendly with that band Midnight, which I find very interesting. I mean, that cat just makes his own record. And then he puts a band together and goes out and plays, you know, which is like much different than in my era, the way you would have done it, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I'm, I'm curious about the different way that people are doing it and especially using that deconstructed hip hop style to make tracks, you know, cause we got hip to that at a certain point and that's part of the way we create too, you know, Mhm. So.
1: Yeah, and so a lot has changed about the way that people uh, make music, and a lot's changed too, maybe even more about the way that people um, kind of consume music. Are there any thoughts that maybe immediately come to mind about that that you've sort of borne witness to over the years, The sort of the transformation of the way people consume music as well?
0: Well, the good part of it is that some of the social stuff fell off because you could just do it in your house, Sure, but that's also part of the bad part of it. Yeah, you know People always complain about gatekeepers, but part of what the gatekeepers used to be was the people that ran the club. If you couldn't <laughs> hang at the club and you didn't have an audience that gave something of a fuck about you when you were on stage. You got embarrassed. You felt bad. You went home with your tail between your legs and you quit trying to be in a rock band. Now people sit around their house making a little project all day for years and years. You know, like I'm doing a little project. One out of a thousand of those are these transcendently brilliant, you know, fucking Bo Burnham type things Mm. where it's like, wow, you made this weird thing in your house all by yourself. The other 999 of them are like, you're a fucking pussy. Your music sucks and you can't even go out in public. So, you know what I mean? Like it's had, it's had multiple effects. And I think the problem with the way things are consumed now is that the net is too large. There aren't enough gatekeepers. And so bullshit is not weeded out but that's also where you get these little gems that are amazing mm-hmm. so you know it's not a totally bleak picture i think hip hop is a joke for the most part now the quality of hip hop is so low from where it was because really rock records started getting really shitty in the mid 80s and 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 the the early 80s really and rock records just kind of went down and down and down. And occasionally you'd get some transcendent, great thing. You'd get the Pixies or you'd get the Nirvana or you'd get something interesting. You know, the the kind of nouveau garage band, the Hives or the, or right. the White Stripes. So something would come up and it would seem kind of different and cool. But for the most part, rock and roll was just going down, 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 more and more boring, shittier and shittier, worse and worse. And hip hop from the mid 80s to the mid 90s, early 2000 was like, There was a brilliant hip hop record every month. Mm. And you just be like, what the fuck, man? This is where all the lyrics are. This is where all the music is. Now, I mean, hip hop is so predictable, and guys aren't coming up in a cipher anymore, battling each other and learning to be a great rapper. They just, when they're 16, they go on the internet and it's like, yo, you know, I'm cute. Yeah, I got a tat on my face. And and so, you know, you get these hip hop records that are fucking ridiculous and rock and roll records that are just fucking ridiculous. And it, it's like, you're fucking whack. And just because I'm old, I'm not afraid to say it. Sure. I'm not going to go, gee, I guess I'm just old and I don't understand it. It's like, no, I understand it. I've seen rock records. I've seen hip hop records. Yours suck. Mm. You know? yeah And so it's it, it, there's kind of too much material and too many stars and too much marketing too early. I mean, I see shit online where people are talking about, okay, you know, I saw one the other day where this guy was saying, you know, don't act like some local band, don't play local parties, don't do this and that, you know, real people are, you know, get influenced through TikTok and everything. And I'm just sitting here like, this is a fun house mirror of reality, dude. It's like, yes, be a local band, dude. Look at the people who live on your block. Absolutely. Look at the People who live in your city. Have a conversation with somebody, play a show or two, meet some people, you know, then talk to me about your promotion. Fucking come right out of the gate. Talk about your fucking promotion. And there were always assholes like that. In the 80s, there was guys like that. I'd see a guy and I'd be like, wow, that's the worst band I'd ever seen. And three days later, you know, he was signed to Virgin Records and boy, they were supposed to be so great. And I would just sit there like, you still suck. Now you're just being marketed by some asshole. You had the right conversation with the right jerk off. Yay. You know, (laughs) somebody with some influence believes in you. Yay. You know, well, Hey, you know, it's a shame. I don't have a yacht, you know, but whatever, you know, I mean, I I think the marketing now comes way too early. Fuck marketing, you know, make, make music.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it definitely seems like your head is in the right place. And that I think that a lot of times people's priorities are sort of flipped, you know, where it's like, uh, you know, become famous first or something like that. And so I just think like with today, with how saturated the industry is, it's very hard to kind of break through. And you've just talked about, you know, one in a thousand of these, you know, newer people trying to make music who really are good, but are really struggling to get recognized because it's so saturated. You know, have you seen anything like that recently?
0: I mean, what I always tell young people is, you know, fill your holes (laughs) (laughs) and you can take that to be just me saying, go out and get fucked. (laughs) But uh, what I mean by that is You know, ego is your enemy, right? Mm. I have a lot of ego in my lyrics. I say I'm the greatest and blag rules and my guys are the best, but don't have any ego in terms of your music. So when I look at my music, I say, well, I can't play drums, so I better get the coolest drummer I can. I can't program drums, so I better get the best producer guy to program these drums. Yeah. So if you're good and you make tracks and you're talented and you're that kind of guy that would be playing in the church group or playing in your high school band and you got ability, Mm -hmm. you probably own a keyboard. You're probably already programming. You probably already can do a basic drum beat and all this kind of stuff. If you're that guy, I would say, for God's sakes, find people who are interesting to make you interesting. Find your posse, find your people who can have a unique singing style or unique rapping style, or just a unique, you know, a hype man, build, build your posse out from what you don't have. And, you know, I think that's what people neglect to do. You know, people like are kind of job oriented, you know, so a lot of those talented guys, you never wind up hearing about them. They're like workhorses. They're not show horses. They're just behind the scenes helping people. Okay. But if all you do is hang out a shingle and go, I'll take clients. And then a client walks in your client probably sucks. So then you do an amazing job for them, but still track sounded okay. But, uh, eh, you know, Yeah, I watched this with Eric Valentine cause he was very much a, you know, workhorse, not a show horse could play every instrument, could do all this stuff, mm. but guys came to him and he would work with them. But the guys that he chose to go like, okay, I'll I'll actually make your demo and I'll follow through and I'll do it turned out to be, you know, in one year when I met him, it was me, which wound up putting me on the map as a producer and getting me signed to Epitaph. But he was also hunting bigger fish. So he did the same thing with Third Eye Blind, which turned into like a 10 times platinum hit record just because he recognized this guy's cute and he can sing and he's got a little vibe. And, and same with uh, smash mouth that turned out to be a very iconic nineties group. And he kind of was the architect of their particular sound, but mm. they were out there and playing covers and had chops and had a songwriter. And so, you know, Eric was smart. He, he knew that if he, if he wasn't going to drive the buggy, there had to be somebody driving the fucking buggy, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So if you're one of those talented people, understand that you still need a star. You still need some sparkle. You still need some flash. You still need something, you know, Mark Ronson is great, but without, you know, Amy Winehouse, you probably wouldn't have heard of of Mark Ronson. You know, he's a super talented guy, but he understood like, okay, plug me into Bruno Mars and I'm going to look real good. You know, plug me into like client X and whatever, yeah. you know, so it, the game never changes. You always have to cast it correctly and look for good people and figure out a way to get on the map in a way that is creative and interesting and new, mm-hmm. you know, and sure, you know, do it just for money. If you just need clients, cause you can learn from everything, you know, right. you can learn right. from everything you do and get better. You should always do the best job you can, but understand that part of your job, It's not just like, well, I'm a drone and I can do any, I can play every instrument, you know, it's like that, that, you know, aspire to be special, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I did want to talk about the uh, the tour really quick that's coming up. Um, so, I was, you know, I was just looking at the schedule for this tour and I noticed it's like pretty much nine straight nights of playing across the south and then finishing it up a couple weeks later with, you know, three shows in the northwest. And so I might be reading too far into this, but is that just kind of representative of where your listenership is at the moment or is it just kind of how this this round shook out?
0: No, we uh, we just got done doing five dates in the Midwest, especially oh, okay. in Chicago, which is my old hometown. Yeah. We played California a lot this last year. We played plenty of West Coast. Okay. Um. And so, no, this was more just like, let's go everywhere. Okay, So yeah. We haven't been to the South in a while, so we're doing nine shows going from Texas to Florida. It's like, okay, here now we're doing the Dirty. And then uh, prior to that, it was like, okay, we'll do the Midwest. And we did another batch of Midwest shows with Bad Religion, which is great because they have a huge audience, and they were so nice to us. So basically, like, I feel like, We didn't leave the Midwest out. We did fucking nine gigs there. Mm -hmm. We didn't leave the dirty South out. We did nine gigs there. We got to do one last thing where we get up the East Coast and do New York, Boston, and that stuff again. Yeah. And then, you know, we got to, uh, uh, you know, maybe do a little more mountain stuff, you know, Salt Lake City, Albuquerque, that kind of stuff. And, you know, but yeah, no, we're going everywhere on this record, including Europe and and wherever else awesome. they'll have us, you know, um, yeah. and uh, but yeah, nine shows in a row that just kills the old man. <laughs> I can't believe I agreed to that. I should take yeah. a fucking day off. I know. You know. Voice just turns into hamburger after a while and is just like, you know, right, I mean, right. yeah, it's it's crazy. But I don't know. I just I was like, fuck it. Let's
1: just play. You yeah. Know? Hey, well, if you do the signature like five minute show every night, you should be safe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, there were probably like 10 or 12 of those. <laughs> yeah. And it become so legendary over the years from this band. Or maybe there were like 10 or 12 of them in the eighties, and then maybe there's been like 10 or 12 since then. Sure. Kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like, but I like that. Like, I like that that's part of what the dwarves are known as. Like, those assholes only play for five minutes. It's like <laughs> Yeah, you know, we've probably played well over a thousand shows, and almost all of them have been complete show. But yeah. okay, you know if that's <laughs> how you need it. And if if you need it like, well, there's violence and people get hurt. It's like okay, you know that has definitely happened a few yeah. times for sure. But you know it's like if that's what you need to get into it, then good. Okay, right. we play for five minutes and we beat everybody up. You know <laughs> whatever whatever you need to get into it. I, I I'll be that for you, you know, but what yeah. I'm trying to be is just a great night of rock and roll where you're like, God damn, you know, that was fun, you know? And that's, those are the shows I remember from being a kid, from seeing the cramps and mm. seeing the the fucking Ramones and seeing, you know, black flag and, 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 you know, the dead Kennedys and the misfits. I mean, I saw these bands live yeah. in their heyday. Yeah. And so that's what I aspire to, to do, you know?
1: Yeah. kind of coming to the end of our time here, but I wanted to ask one last question. As we've kind of already covered, you know, the Dwarves have been around for a long time and really show no signs of slowing down anytime soon. Um, there's this album you just put out, you know, there's the, the quick tour coming up. And then I think you said that sometime soon there's going to be like the follow-on EP or album. But after kind of the new year and after that, what's what do you see as next thing for the band?
0: Well, there's a few things. I mean, I I... I made a solo record called Introducing Ralph Champagne. Right. And it was kind of the same idea as the dwarves in terms of hitting all the, you know, the dwarves hit all the hard genres. And so Ralph Champagne kind of hits all the softer genres of, you know, country and, and, you know, kind of rockabilly and kind of 60s garage and, mm-hmm. and, uh, lounge and acoustic and novelty and all those kind of genres. And so I'm really proud of that, you know, that I've, cause I've always been interested in all that stuff and people would wonder like, when are you going to do something that kind of shows what you're into? And so I'm very proud of, of that. So there's another Ralph Champagne record that's in the works now that I'm, cool. that I'm working on and it's coming out to be really interesting too. For the dwarves, there's two really interesting things that are going to come out next year. So one of them is, yeah, there's another like seven tracks from from concept album that never came out and a couple remixes of concept things that are different. So we're going to put that out as an EP um, tentatively called The Dwarves Keep It Real. (laughs) Um, But the other interesting thing is we went back and mixed the recording that we did right before we did Blood, Guts and Pussy. We went into the studio with Jack and Dino and we tried to just play live. So Jack and Dino was the guy that engineered, uh, blood guts and pussy up in Seattle. And he was one of the kind of the original grunge guys. Yeah. And so we kind of did an experiment when we first met him. Basically they wanted us to do two songs for the sub pop singles club. And so we did 14 songs (laughs) And and the way we did them was just, we went in the studio and just played live. And so there's this great document of that period, but the part that was released was just those two songs, fuckhead and and she's dead, but the rest of it just sat there. So we, you know, now have mixed that Mm. and it's just like a live document of exactly what the doors were like when we made blood Guts. So then I went back to to the photographers involved, Charles Peterson, who'd taken the live photo on the back and Michael Levine, who'd taken that very iconic blood guts photo on the front. And I got all the outtakes of all that stuff. So there's going to be this recording where we kind of tell the story of Blood Guts, and you have kind of a live version of it that's different. And then it's got lots of cool pictures from the era. So I think people are going to really love that. You know, people who, you know, want Blood Guts to kind of be what it is and not some deluxe different package yeah. still get that. But then you get this kind of corollary to Blood Guts that kind of shows you where the door dwar- what the doors were doing and where it came from so i think i think that's going to make a lot of people trip you know that's some old shit that's pretty priceless and then you know new shit coming out in the in the same year you know and that really kind of sums up the band like we never turned our back on the old shit i'll never stop saying fuck or showing tits <laughs> i'll never say oh, i'm ashamed of the old stuff you know we deserved a lot more money and a lot more fame than we got for that old stuff Mm -hmm. and and you know we still deserve it yeah (laughs) it just 2024 is going to be more of the same you know we'll go to europe we'll play a bunch of festivals and you know we'll just continue being being us we're the best fucking band that's just it i'm leaving with the sunrise
1: him the dwarves are here to stay listen to their newest release entitled concept album and check them out live before the end of the year if you're anywhere near the southeast or pacific northwest if you're in europe stay tuned for their appearances next year and don't beat yourself up too much if you miss them something tells me they'll be back around real soon anyway that's it for this episode check out youngsteryear.com for more music related content and follow us on instagram at youngsteryear so we can keep it coming see you next time